His name was Lando. I hadn't seen him for a little while. He took it kind of hard. I won the Millennium Falcon from a mini game of cards. Whoa. Won it from Lando. Battle of Hoth and we had to take off. So that's where we'll go. And same with Lando. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon podcast, where we take a deep dive through Marvel's history and bring you the forgotten, the esoteric, and the weird. I'm coming to you from the Comic Book Dungeon. I am Mark. And I'm Cruz, and I'm coming to you from the Comic Book Kitchen tonight. <laughs> what, uh, what prompted the change-up? Uh, the wife is out watching the Bad Moms Christmas special with her sister and her mother. And uh, someone has to keep an ear out for the uh, children. And also, I need to be able to watch the dog in case my mutt dog, Shadow, needs to go outside and take a shit. I, uh, I'm excited about this because this lad's drama. You might have to put down the mic and we might hear some screaming, some fire setting, and or some pooping. This is going to be great. Exactly. Or you just might hear a door open and close as I walk outside because, uh, you know what? I have a dog that is scared of the dark. <laughs> so I have to go outside with the dog at night and shine a flashlight. I spotlight the dog while it takes a shit at night. <laughs> Because she needs the comfort of, number one, the alpha male of the house with her. The dog's the only one that thinks I'm an alpha male, so let's be honest here. And yet, she needs a light on her so she can poop. Otherwise, she's terrified, and she will not go to the bathroom, and she'll drop... I don't know how animals can hold this much shit inside of their bodies, but she can drop, like, a foot-long log on the floor. And she herself is only, like, two feet long. So that would be the equivalent of me dropping, like, a freaking two-and-a-half-foot-long turd in the toilet. Do you not do that? I, I think the max I've ever clocked myself is at about, you know, 18 inches. It's hard to tell. Once it gets past the pee trap, you know, it's hard to tell. But, you know, when there's a good six inches sticking above the water line saying, hello, you know you did something awesome. If you at home have bigger shits, we would like to hear about them. So you can write in to comic book dungeon podcast at gmail.com and if you talk about a poop over two feet or bigger picks or it didn't happen so just keep that in mind <laughs> yeah um, if you have actual measurements you know give us the girth as well as the length too exactly or if you took plaster casts just whatever proof that you have and we'll be talking about that more on our sister podcast talking poop with Cruz and mark <laughs> oh. <laughs> Talking about emails, we got our first ever email. Dear Mark and Cruz, I'm emailing from iTunes, and I'm letting you know if you don't get four more iTunes reviews by 11.30, I'm going to cut off your fucking thumbs. Love your show. Keep up the good work. iTunes. So. Guys, come on. Give us a couple of reviews. I like my thumbs. It's going to be hard for us to continue to bring you this quality 1970s Marvel content when I can't turn pages or edit a podcast because I don't have any fucking thumbs. So just keep that in mind. It's not like we're asking for money here. We're asking for a couple reviews to save our thumbs. And I've heard from other podcasts, once the thumbs go, they start cutting off the thumbs of loved ones. So yes, my wife also needs her thumbs. 
Yeah, ditto. Mine too. And, and if they go after the kids, I mean, it's going to be a whole house full of two generations of dumbless people. We can't have that. You people are sick. Exactly. And when the thumbs come off, I'll know who to blame. <laughs> exactly. Or if you don't appreciate these high-pressure tactics, you can leave us an iPootunes review where you tell us what gross shitbags we are. Yes, tell us. Uh, yeah, and you know what? I will take any sort of press at this point. Good reviews, bad reviews, don't care, leave a review. And we don't want to bribe our loved ones to do it. Although, eventually we will. Yeah, most guides I look at talk about, hey, make sure that your friends and loved ones all leave you a review. That really seems shitty. I mean, that just that doesn't seem like a good way to do this. I would like genuine reviews from fans. I know we don't have a lot of them so far. We're still uh, a brand new podcast. But if you're out there and you really like this show and you know other people who are really into comic books, just don't be afraid to share it. Let us know. Let some or let some friends know. Get the word out there. Yes, absolutely. And then if not, well, you know, the holidays are around the corner, so I'm sure Mark and I will be more than happy to blackmail our loved ones and extended family into giving us some sort of review. I also want to mention, again, you can email us at comicbookdungeon at gmail.com. If you guys actually want to be on the show, you can just put an audio file like you were leaving us a voicemail and just attach it to your email address. And as long as you just don't sit there and call us ass bags for 30 seconds or go on for a half hour, we will uh, put your, uh, your, your voicemail on the show. Right, but if you want to call us ass bags for like 30 minutes or something, uh, do it because I need some motivational music for my iPhone. We just won't air it. <laughs> yeah, I might share it outside of the show, but yeah, I just don't think that would make for good listening. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But if, if I ever want to like freaking emolate myself with freaking foul language, I'll play it in my I'll play it in my iPod for myself want to throw out here we talked about possible ideas for what we would do for december if we got the reviews well i i have had an idea and if you follow me on twitter uh i've already talked about it briefly there i'm gonna play a little bumper for it right now hello us here at the comic book dungeon podcast would like to wish you and your family happy holidays and a happy punish sember that's right here at the comic book dungeon podcast we're going to be covering the Punisher holiday issues throughout the entire month of December. So if you like explosions and awesome comics, don't miss a single episode. And if you do, you're kind of a bitch. Yeah, that's right. The Wilhelm scream tells you it's cool. So that's right, everybody. We're doing Punish Sember. We're going to yeah. go through the different Punisher holiday specials. I think those are a lot of fun. And I even have a an extra surprise issue that I'd like to throw in that's Punisher-related because the Punisher is one of my favorite characters. So there's six holiday specials and then that special issue. That's seven comics. There's no way that we're going to be able to cover all of that, except for we would we would actually make a good try. We would put in double shifts on this if we got those five iTunes reviews. But yeah, if we don't get the five iTunes reviews, we'll probably do a few of the holiday specials this year and get to them next year. But if you guys want to hear us talk about all those Punisher holiday specials and know what the secret bonus comic book is, you're going to have to leave us those uh, five iTunes reviews. I don't yeah, think no that's pressure. a reasonable request. Yeah, no pressure at all. Come on. Just just even like, you know, write maybe five stars and you suck. Yeah, that'd be good. I, I, I could take that. 
I'm not choosy. I I realize, listeners, that desperation is a stinky cologne. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason that the iTunes reviews are important, it's because if you Google comic books, or if you go into iTunes and look up comic books, we're the 10,000th podcast that you'll find. It's because we have very little reviews. So the more reviews we get, the more listeners we get. And I talked about this last uh, episode, that I really want this to be a collaborative show. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear what you're, you're reading, what you're passionate about, your questions on comic books, great stories about comic books, because I want to put those on the air. I want to foster a real sense of community. And so far, our community is small, and we're not getting as much feedback, so I want it to grow. I, I, it's something. This can be a place that's really kick-ass for everybody, and that's the word that I'm trying to spread. All right. Okay, we got any other housekeeping? Uh, no, because uh, we haven't, except for the the threatening voicemail from last episode and the threatening email, we haven't gotten any any other emails. So again, comicbookdungeon at gmail dot com, and uh, you drop us a line, we'll read it on the show. All right. So where did we leave off last? Uh, last, uh, what do we call it? Biweekly. Yeah. Yeah. So so last biweekly at the end of this last episode, we uh, left off with uh, what was it? Mister Kilraven's going to Washington, right? Yeah. They escaped from the Martians. They met up with Camilla and her companion slash pet Grok, and the group of them were going to go to Washington, where it's uh, they where Camilla has told them that that's where the Martians are headquartered. That's uh-huh. where they are ruling the planet from. Yes, and Kill Raven had found his pants. Yep, yep. Kill Raven was firmly in pants, except for you would not know that looking at the cover of this current issue. No. Which, Yep, this is Amazing Adventures 22. We're now in January of 1974. There's things I like about this cover, and there's things that I do not, or I think that were some odd choices. Yeah, I can I can see that. The banner at the top, where we get the uh, Amazing Adventures featuring the world, the War of the Worlds. I've talked about this before. It's never had a background before. It's always been transparent, so you could see the whole cover. For whatever reason. They decided to give it a red banner. So now a third of the cover you can't see because of this red background uh, on the, the banner. Right, yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't It doesn't look good. No, you're cutting, this was such a cool cover, and that was such a, a waste of space. They could have done some cool stuff with that. But unfortunately, the Kill Raven that's on the banner and the Kill Raven that's on the cover, they've drawn him in his new costume. But again, they've drawn him without his fucking pants. And we talked about this briefly before the episode. The conspiracy theory I have is that for whatever reason, um, the uh, Roy Thomas, the editor, must have really been convinced that Kill Raven's legs were going to sell this book. Yeah, well, I will say at least they changed it from the uh, the mankini that he was sporting before. It now looks like he's wearing a pair of like you know booty shorts or something like that. He 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 looks like a soccer mom about ready to go off to his like pole dancing instructor's freaking course or something. Maybe that was one of those things he taught himself once he left the gladiatorial arena before he found the free man. Oh, yeah, I can imagine freaking Killraven sporting a, doing some, like, inverts on a pole. Like, I learned this while I was reading in a library by the dark candlelight as your masters were oppressing the world. <laughs> yeah, he found, like, a pole dancing workout video. That's how he got all that strength. Oh, yeah, exactly. That explains those thighs of steel. Anyway, this co- <laughs> uh, this is a great cover. We see uh, Killraven 
tackling fighting individual. He's fighting individual who has tentacles for arms. This is a oddly colored individual. He looks like he's about 15 feet tall. He's got kind of a bronze reddish hues. Uh, and it, through the dialogue boxes, we learn his name is Abraxas. Yep. It looks like they're fighting in the Lincoln Memorial in Washington. And what's really cool is on the front or in, in the foreground of that picture, we have uh, several Martians who are watching and enjoying the fight between Abraxas and Killraven. At no point so far have I ever been so convinced that somebody who, who's an illustrator for this book took a Mr. Potato Head and left it in the oven for way too long pulled it out and said, this is what a Martian looks like. It's like every issue, the, they lose a little bit of the horror aspect we saw in the first War of the Worlds issue, the uh, Amazing Adventures 18. And I think it's because like we see them drawn, a big groups of them in this issue. We saw several of them in one place last issue. I think it's just to get them done on the page to to take the time to draw several of them. They don't have the time to put into making one big scary one, and I think that was kind of a detriment to the design of the Martians. Yeah, it's like what do you call it when there's more than like one Martian? Is it like a gaggle of Martians? A school of Martians? A fever of Martians. I I, I like that. There's a fever of Martians on the cover. <laughs> I think a really good choice on this cover, and we saw this last issue, is they got the word balloons that you don't see on comics anymore on the cover. And we learned from the word balloons that they are uh, basically auctioning Killraven off as a slave to the Martians. And you see Abe Lincoln kind of sad by this in the background, or saddened by this in the background. Totally. He's really sad by about this. And, and yeah. Killraven just can't get a break. He always ends up freaking somehow back in enslaved again. Yeah, they keep uh, keep bringing him back. I like the little caption box in the right hand uh, right bottom corner so that he that they're slaves of the human squid. He's got two tentacles. I necessarily I wouldn't necessarily call him the human squid. No, I just call him a really great candidate for casting in a hentai porn. Or his head totally looks like he was modeled off of Mr. Clean. Yeah, he does. Or, or some sort of like the gin or something like that. He's got the hoop earrings. Exactly. He must, he must have hooked a, or mugged a hooker on his way in. And dude, look at the obliques on this guy, man. He's, dude's ripped. Yeah, all he's wearing is just a pair of green shorts. But in all fairness, he doesn't have fingers or thumbs, so putting pants on is probably a pretty difficult feat for him. I can imagine, like, he's like, ah, oh, Buttons, you are my nemesis. Yeah, that, that there's no way that would happen. <laughs> oh, he reminded me a little bit, if you've ever seen uh, the animated G.I. Joe movie, he might, reminds me a little bit of Globulus, where Globulus, they, they had a very similar uh, uh, upper torso build, but it was Galobulus had a snake tail instead of the tentacles. But uh, I don't know, just just kind of the the adding tentacles to the human form and just playing with that. The bald head, the muscles kind of reminded me of Galobulus. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. I don't really remember Galobulus too well. But uh, yeah, this is definitely a cool little study here. I have definitely not watched G.I. Joe the movie 20 times past the age of 25. Okay. And I don't have a copy of Transformers the movie sitting in my DVD shelf. Nor do I. <laughs> <laughs> They're 
both really good movies. I, I highly recommend them. Yeah, definitely. I just, I just haven't gotten around to getting a copy of the GI Joe one. I, I know they the, the they made much a much a much bigger deal out of the Transformers one when it first hit DVD. Well, dude, it had some of the like some great like '80s hair bands playing freaking soundtrack songs. I mean, who can't remember that you've got the touch song? I mean. That's definitely not on my workout uh, uh, playlist. <laughs> it's on my running playlist. You know, it is. It, it gives me a little bit of motivation, like that and freaking Final Countdown by freaking Europe. There's yeah, several. Okay. <laughs> I I have several uh, Transformers the soundtrack songs on my running playlist. I have the Touch, I have Dare, and I have the Transformers soundtrack. Nice. I could talk about that all night, but that's probably not what we're here to do. Nope, you're right. You're right. We, we're, we are we are on a fucking tangent, man. If you would like us to, or to, if you would like to talk about that or get your uh, opinion out there, because I'm going to say something controversial. I love both movies, but for my money, I like Transformers the movie a little bit more. Hell yeah! If you disagree, write us in. Let us know. <laughs> we go into a great splash page here, and here we get the list of credits. Yes. For this issue, we have Don McGregor is again the writer. Herb Trippy is the artist. F. Chermonte is the inker. L. Lesman is the colorist. C. Jetter is the letterer. And Roy Thomas, as always, is the editor. Yep, and we are going into the Washington Nightmare. Yep, this is a great splash page, or splash page with Kill Raven and the Freemasons on a tugboat. They call it a sailing barge, it looks to me, in my it's, unprofessional opinion. It, it looks like they jacked a tugboat from New York. I just wonder how they got the fuel to get all the way down to Washington. But hey, that's just me. I was wondering that as well. Kind of like when they found that deuce and a half that had been sitting there 20 years. And yeah, yeah like how the fuel hadn't turned into jelly in the tank. Exactly. Go figure. Well, this is an alternative universe. We should keep that in mind. Yes, yes. Maybe fuel doesn't turn into... Anyways, yeah. Okay, so here we go. They're, uh, they're on the Potomac River. We see the damaged Washington Monument in the background. Yep. And uh, Kill Raven and company are uh, happily sailing away. Kill Raven, on the other hand, seems... Uh... Well, not Kill Raven. Old Skull has some, uh, some doubts... No. Oh, geez. What the fuck am I doing right now? I am all wrong. I, I guess it's because the dialogue kind of throws you off. I mean, it starts with Mashula saying, don't worry, Killer Raven. There's nothing to fear here. And Old Skull saying he, he likes the feel of the sun on his face. He likes it. But yeah, I, I, oh, go, go ahead. Go, oh, go on. I was going to say, yeah, I love Mashula saying that there's nothing to fear here because there's absolutely that's never that's not going to come back to bite him in the ass. And. This statement by Old Skull and ones that he made uh, last issue, I'm starting to suspect he has some sort of cognitive impairment. <laughs> Why? Oh. oh, just the, I mean, his line here, Old Skull say he liked the feel of the sun on his face. Like the sun! That's just... just saying he, he might have some sort of, say, head injury or some sort of impairment. You know, maybe not everyone's skull is as thick as Kill Ravens. I mean, one good punch from freaking... Uh... The the warlord would have, would have probably you know just you know causing a brain damage. That old skull has a hard time freaking forming sentences. I mean his name is Old Skull. 
It's like his skull is really old and frail and been banged around a lot. I, I thought about this because we spoilers. Kill Raven gets hit in the head again this issue, and this is how his. I was just thinking about how many times he's hit in the head. He gets hit in the head more than an NFL player. I mean, if there's anybody who's going to have health issues related to multiple concussions, <laughs> it's Kill Raven. Exactly. <laughs> but again, to foreshadow that Mashula. Uh, is wrong about no trouble here. We see giant tentacles, which seem to be a theme throughout this issue. We see giant red tentacles coming out of the river behind the tugboat. Um, oh my. No, another thing on this page, and I just want to bring it up. I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but there was a lot of exposition in this issue. I mean, the first page really rub your, no, rub your nose in the exposition that has yeah. a lot of political commentary. It reminds us that humanity's destiny was stolen from us by the invaders. We learned that before the Martians invaded, we were on our way to a dystopian Orwellian future and that our politicians were hiding that from us. If I mean, if Don McGregor thought the early 70s, in the early 70s, we were heading towards this bleak dystopian future, I would have loved to see what he thought of maybe the 1980s and today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we get to the next page. And I, this is this is by far my favorite illustration out of this entire freaking book. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I have a description of how I would describe the monster that comes out of the water and attacks the tugboat. <laughs> how would you describe the giant monster that is attacking the tugboat? Okay, how would I describe this thing? Uh, let's say you started with a squid right and it had a really unhealthy relationship with some sort of giant fucking spider or some sort of giant eight-legged crustacean yeah i think there's such a thing i'm not sure but if they had if there is some sort of unholy matrimony between these two species the spawn of their freaking abnormal love would have resulted in this creature except somehow it was bigger than a fucking tugboat it, it looks like some sort of a character out of a zelda game i can't remember which one though i, I could see that and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the uh, of what you're thinking of but uh your description was way better i just have it in my notes as pineapple spider crab monster oh fuck god damn it <laughs> You're right. It does kind of is a little pineapple shaped. Yeah. <laughs> let's not let's not body shame the monster. It, it, yeah. Uh, well, basically, what it looks like. I, I mean, if you're looking for a sheer anatomical physical description of the damn thing, it, it looks like kind of like a squid body, except like the long, floppy like head of the squid it is now this kind of coarse, hairy looking thing with freaking giant spider legs kind of sticking out of it. And it, it, it's got the eyes and the mouth and the beak kind of where you would normally expect a squid to. But instead of having like, you know, squids kind of have the the sucker arms almost. Yeah. With like the, the larger tips, it, it the this thing just has like long cylinders. It looks like Twizzlers. It looks like yes. red lo or red rope licorice coming off of it. Yeah, it looks like half melted red rope licorice because there's no no str no striations to it at all. It's just one smooth long cylinder. It's look weird. And then it looks like a pine cone or like Marge Simpson's hair coming out of like the top of its head above its eyes. Yeah, I don't know if that's supposed to be its brain. I don't I don't know. It's 
I, I think that Herb Trippy came up with a crazy design for this monster. I think it really will look, works. It's really cool, but yeah, it is hard to describe. It is. It is. Yeah, this is. That's. I mean, th- some of the character and creature designs just they they keep getting better and better. Every issue so far, in my opinion, has gotten better, and it it's. I think it, a real loss that Marvel hasn't collected these outside of the crappy Marvel Essentials, which is on like pulp paper and black and white. I haven't checked back to see if any more have been added in the last month to Marvel Unlimited. I know they added the first issue of Amazing Adventures 18, but there's no reason that there shouldn't be like a Marvel Masterworks collection because this is a really good series, and it's it's a shame that if you want to own these, you have to try to get all the back issues off of eBay and pay some like ridiculous prices. And you should be able to just for ten or twenty dollars or more. Just get that Masterworks collection or an oversized edition, and that I mean, this the artwork's great, the story's been great. This is something that shouldn't be lost to time. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, this panel here. I know we went to great depth about the description of the creature. This panel is a full two-page panel. I mean, it's you know, it's it's huge. It's freaking huge. And on this panel, you've got the giant pineapple Marge Simpson haired freaking sea uh, enemy mixed with the squid mixed with the fucking crab. It's just it's just came out of the water and it broke the back of the tugboat and it's proceeding to drag the whole boat down. And, and while this is going on, all of our. Uh, all of our, our cast and crew member are being thrown about, you know, kill Ravens at the bow of the ship. He's, he's hanging on for dear life. Old skull gets thrown overboard Mashula's, you know, he he's next to the front, next to the superstructure on the deck. And he's kind of thrown off balance. It looks like, uh, Carmilla is, is you know, getting, she's thrown overboard and Grok is trying to save her. And then you've got, it looks like two more people. One of which I have to assume is Hawk. Yeah, the one in the red shirt is Hawk. Really? Because I thought that was like a freaking a Stan Lee cameo. Oh, they do that a lot, but uh, yeah, I believe the one in in the with the red shirt is is Hawk. But you're right, the guy next to him in the green shirt, I have no idea who he's supposed to be. When they left New York, they just the the only Freeman they had besides Kill Raven was Mashula. What about Hawk. Expendable Number One? Remember him? Yeah. Oh, that's who this is. It's Expendable but he's Number never, One. He never gets referenced again in the story. He's just gone. We don't know if he went down with the ship. We don't know if he was uh, whatever happened. They never say that this guy is missing. They just completely forget about him. Well, let's give him a name. Let's call him Bob. Yeah, Bob's not going to have a very good day. And yeah, you're right. This is a great double-page splash page. And this is the first time that we've gotten a a double-page spread so far. There's been a lot of scenes I thought that could use one. But uh, this is the first time that they've they've done it. I hope to get a lot more because this is a really good page. Yeah, th- this one this one was just. I mean, normally I, I read these on my phone at work. This is one where I I saw it on my phone. And I was like, okay, I need to you know I need to open this up on my laptop and give it a big enough screen that I can really appreciate the whole damn thing because this is a well illustrated panel right here. Yeah, it's it's well drawn. Something I really like on this page, because we're establishing a theme for this issue, was, again, Mashula just said, hey, everything's uh, great, and now while the ship is being destroyed and they're being attacked by a monster, Killraven takes that, that, that this time right now 
to given I told you so to Mishula to call him out for being wrong. Again, if I'm being attacked by a giant four-story monster, I'm not going to take the time to, to call him out. But he does it repeatedly, and the whole theme, of, I think, of this issue is, because you see this with every interaction Killraven has, he's a total dick. Yeah, Killraven's definitely, I don't know, he's entered full-on dick mode this, uh, this episode, or this yeah, issue. I don't know, yeah, I don't know what bug was up his ass since they left uh, New York, but yet he is a total dick this issue. Maybe his pants are too tight. Yeah, I just, I can't believe he's choosing now when he's about, like, they're about to fall into the water. Instead of doing something proactive, he's playing the I told you so game with Mishula. <laughs> Mishula's just like, hey, man, they usually call it a mistake, man. I'm sorry. My bad. You know, like, if this if this was, like, if they had any idea of the slang of the future, they'd, they'd have totally given a, a my bad on there. I think that fully warrants at least one my bad. Yeah. But it's not like, oh, did you forget to, or did you spray the anti-monster repellent, uh, Mishula? <laughs> no, man, I forgot. All Mashula said was, right now, nothing's going wrong, and now it's, fuck you! <laughs> I told you so. I told you this was a bad idea, because that's going to get them uh, out of the giant pineapple monster fucking situation they're in now. <laughs> and I love the next page. The first panel on the next page is you see them both being grabbed by a tentacle, and instead of immediately trying to cut himself out because he has his sword out, he continues to 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 shame Mashula over this. Just again, I said that this was a bad idea, and now it might cost us our lives. Again, this was really not the time just to repeatedly fucking rub Mashula's nose in this. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is some further dickery. Yeah, and while the, while while Killraven's further being a dick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we go on to the next two panels where uh, apparently there are people watching this on the shoreline. And uh, one of which, I mean, the <laughs> third panel on this page, it's, 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 it's hard. It's really hard, given that how, how much praise we just heaped on that nice giant double page panel. It's hard when you look at this third panel. And this that's, guy looks like that's he's one of my favorite panels. He so he looks like he's got like a cross between like some sort of mongoloid disorder and Bell's palsy. Okay, well, like, he has one eye that's like <clears throat> squinting shut, like he was like his face is puffing up, like he was stung by the by a bee, and his other eye is huge and bloodshot. Well, yeah, that, he looks like he's got Bell's palsy. palsy. I mean, yeah. if you've ever seen someone that had Bell's palsy, like half of his face is just fucking, it, it's just not there. His Half of his face is completely dead and lifeless and all squinty. And the other half is sweating bullets. I, I, I mean, he must, the character looks totally fucking nuts. That's all I got to say. Who does he look like to you? I don't know who he looks like. I can't tell you. To me, because when you see in the next panel, he's wearing like flamboyant pirate clothes with a giant ridiculous cape. That, the mustache and the hair, to me, he looked like a don't, demented... Don't, what? don't say it. If you say Lando Calrissian, I will yes! reach through the fucking internet and stab you. <laughs> see, the fact that you knew exactly <laughs> what I was going for... <laughs> I said it. You pictured it. Oh, you that fucking asshat. That's all I can say. <laughs> I cannot believe that shit. Why did you got to bring Lando into this shit? 
I mean, they created Lando like four years uh, before Star Wars. Well, that was he wasn't even in the original. So uh, seven years before Empire. Right, 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 right. So, anyways, yeah, he's got the flamboyant cape and the flamboyant attire because they they are modeling themselves as cavaliers. Apparently, somebody read a history book or some shit. They're cavaliers. We learn that they uh, they're going to take advantage of the freemen's trouble. We see a couple of the freemen, Hawk and which Hawk is now wearing a yellow shirt in this panel. Hawk it, and old Scun. So. These dyes don't stick in the future. Okay, they they home dye their stuff and like that. You know the. The salt and everything in the seawater, whatever, just kind of. It wasn't color guarded. It wasn't. Yes, they forgot to put. They forgot to scotch bright it. So yeah, old skull and hawk. They wash up on shore. The plan here is they're going to take advantage of the rest of the group fighting the monster. They're going to kidnap them and sell them into slavery. Yep. And we learn that that's how he maintains his him and his group maintain their freedom from the Martians by preying on uh, other humans to to sell. Yes, uh, twenty eighteen is a doggy dog world in the future with Kill Raven. We've seen that Lando will do what he needs to to survive. Shut up. <laughs> So, anyways, you know, Kill Raven, of course, in his full dickery mode, uh, is pointing out that uh, Washington is a place full of more surprises than Carmilla told them about. So, uh, once again, Kill Raven's like, no, fuck you guys. It's not my fault. That bitch over there, she's the one that did this. And again, he's cutting himself out of being choked to death by this tentacle, and now yeah, he's 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 throwing the shade on Camilla, which again, I wouldn't say that maybe, let's debrief after this to see if there's any other surprises or what you haven't told us, but while you're all being murdered to take that opportunity for another I told you so, I mean, he's just a total bitch this, at this issue. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's cutting himself free, and Mashula's still all tangled up by the sea monster. And, and you know, Killer Raven's egging him on to to use his uh his deadly bolt for this crossbow, but Mashula's got one of his arms pinned and he can't do anything about it. So in the next panel, uh, Kill Raven's imploring that uh, Mashula hang on because he he actually seems to have some concern here. It, but he takes that concern and twists it around into a backhanded compliment where he's like, "I've not held your hand this far just to have you die on me." Hey, what a fucking dick. He's a total high school mean girl, this issue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure on fucking Tuesdays he wears pink. He wears pink too, okay? His face kind of looks like it's melting in that panel. It's that's, all that rage the water. and anger. It's just the water, dude. It's the water. But it looks like a wax face that's kind of just his features look like they're melting a little bit. No, okay, look. Freaking Saber. Saber is the character that you're saying looks like freaking Lando Calrissian, by the way. Saber. His first introductory panel looks like his face was fucking melting off. Yeah, it looks like someone someone went to freaking Madame Tussauds with a fucking blowtorch and started melting half of a face of freaking Billy D. Williams' statue. And, and then they freaking took a picture, freaking sent it back in time and put it in this comic book. I, I don't disagree with any of that. That's exactly <laughs> what it looks like. We get a really cool panel where we see Camilla. She's got a pretty bitchin' sword, and it looks like she's about to go at it with some of Saber's troops, but Grok is just kicking ass. Yeah, Grok is kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, he, he takes three of them out here. He's, like, taking out two at once, and Lando decides that it's it's not worth the trouble. 
he's got two prisoners. He's lost. He's going to cut his losses and uh, take what he has and leave. Yes. The character that you're calling Lando is known as Saber. Yes, that's what I said. How dare you? It looks like he's uh, so he's got his prisoners. He's got Hawk and he has Old Skull, and it looks like he's taking them back to the Cloud City. Right, and uh, just the next page, he you know as uh, Saber's taken off with his his prize, Mashula. Yes, but fuck you. <laughs> Mashula manages to get his arm loose. And, you know, he and Killraven manage to do their thing and shortly take down the sea monster with a series of well-placed bolts in very vulnerable spots. Yeah, he gets three out at once. And, yeah, he gets, like, the eye. He gets, that's, I don't know what the fucking thing is, below the eye. That's like that's Mashula's thing, though. I mean, yeah. if you remember last ep- uh, last issue, he managed to sink three crossbow bolts into the... Uh, into I think it was like the giant freaking ant or roach looking monster or something. Yeah, he uh, he did a kick ass job with that crossbow last the issue. Jesus, the he, Jesus fish monster. That's the one he took out with three crossbow bolts. That's right. And now he continues that his assault on uh, aquatic wildlife against the pineapple monster. And while he's shooting it in the face, Kill Raven is getting its underbelly with his sword. Yep, and they quickly dispatch the monster as it uh, proceeds to color the ocean or the river with its blood. Yeah, I would love if there was a scene of other monsters coming to prey on it just because they see weakness, just to see what was more going on with the ecosystem. But they they keep this issue really tight. They keep it moving. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely keep it moving. So so our party regroups on the shoreline where uh, Kill Raven and Mashula realize that uh, they're missing some of their crew members. Uh, look at the panel where Mashula, it's the bottom left panel where Killraven is stabbing the monster. Mashula is still being held by the tentacle. They drew him without his pants, and they gave him very, very pink-looking legs. Yes, they did. I think they forgot. You know, Mashula, he, he always wears his pants, so maybe his legs didn't get enough sunlight. Yeah, I mean, I know if I take my my freaking shirt off... <laughs> <laughs> when I take my shirt off, uh, you know, uh, the skin on, on my chest that doesn't see sunlight is a lot lighter than my arms. Yeah, it, it looks like there's, that's just a you know a coloring mistake, and it, I, I guess that's what I'm going to chalk up the couple the last two issues to is coloring mistakes. For whatever reason, they don't like coloring the legs or drawing or drawing in the pants at least. No, they don't. They definitely don't. Yeah, those gams are going to sell the issue. Exactly. Hey, this this issue has freaking 200% more leg in it than anything else. That's why I bought it. <laughs> so, so Kill Raven uh, gets on the shore, and seeing that two of his, his freemen are gone, proceeds to, of course, lay blame at the, fleet of, at the feet of Carmilla. I totally don't disagree with the let's have a conversation. We don't know what your motives are. <clears throat> if we don't we're we're on this trip based off of your say so, I'm not entirely sure I trust you. Those are all good conversations to have except for the way that he has it. If you haven't gotten that information out of her, being a sexist dick is probably not going to get the information that you want. 
Right, and, and he is definitely being a sexist dick. They, they go on, Killraven's interrogating Carmilla. It really doesn't cover too much ground in the middle panel, but when you get to the bottom left panel, our artist is having fun with Carmilla again, and, and he is drawing her looking completely unhinged, and it kind of looking like the overattached freaking girlfriend meme chick again. I'm going to say that this was a great panel because the stupid face that she's making, the ridiculous face, that's because uh, Killraven just said, watch your tongue, woman. And that is her, what the fuck did you just say to me face? But probably not. You know, it very well could be her, her, what the fuck did you say to me face? Or the, like, I'm pretending to be extremely attentive to what you're saying, but at the soonest possible moment, I'm going to betray you and run away. Again, I don't fault Killraven for being skeptical. She is, was a collaborator for most of her life. She switched sides and helped them. I want to know more about why we're here and what your motivations are. Good. I, when you're in the middle of, where are my men? We need to seek shelter. We need to, to get a footing in this, uh, this, this hostile land. Is not the time for your sexist bullshit. Right. Again, he's just rolling, he's just rolling with that whole dick theme. He's yeah, uh, uh, yeah he's, he's power tripping like crazy. And, and some of the points you made up are, are definitely points of concern. What are her motivations, etc. Which you know, was definitely a little bit of foreshadowing because I think eventually we're going to get to that. But meanwhile, Kill Ravens, you know, yeah, it's really talking down and talking harshly to Carmilla, and Grok is not caring for this at all. Grok looks like he's pissed off. That's a great Grok <clears throat> panel. We see the suckers on the end of his fists or on the end of his fingers. We see his fangs. It's a great panel. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is definitely out of the smaller panels. It is definitely one of the better illustrated ones, and, and it definitely conveys that Grok is pissed the fuck off. Yeah. Good cause. Definitely good cause. Kill Raven's being a douche. The whole freaking book. Definitely. So yeah. Well, so Mashula gives Kill Raven a warning. He's like, I don't think that reject from the Martian Labs likes the way you're talking. They decide to go in pursuit of their erstwhile bandmates that have been captured. Yeah, we see that they're going to camp at the Washington Monument. Kill Raven is going to go scout to see if he can find any trace of Saber and the missing. They're missing Freeman. Right, and uh, this is where we get a little backstory on Carmilla because, you know, as yes. Kill Raymond's wandering around, Mashula's left to keep an eye on her. And, you know, Carmilla goes on and she, she talks about herself and her past. Yeah, we learn that she started to learn science from her father when the Martians came. And then when the Martians came, he insisted that humanity turned on the scientists because they failed to protect them from the Martians. It's not uh, something that we, a narrative we heard before. We know that the Martians came in and used the, the scientists. But here her per- perspective was before the Martians kind of enslaved the scientists and turned them, that humanity had turned on them for failing to protect them. Right, yeah. We learned her father was uh, a scientist, that he was one that fought the Martians at first, and we know that he paid some sort of unknown cost for that. And when she saw what happened to her father, at that point she kind of lost hope, and she learned that she would never escape from the Martians. And we see a a moment here, we see that Mashula feels some sympathy for her. Yeah, Mashula definitely, and I think Mashula's got the hots for her. But uh, yeah, he he shows a little sympathy, and he's you know he's like yeah that that kind of sucks that you know, you went through all that. She she continues on about how she she felt helpless, 
and, and she is longing for a time where instead of being a hard ass, she could be soft again. Yeah, I, I thought that was really great that she's where Killraven is always going on to the next next objective. That's what this book has been so far. We've gotten some captions that have kind of explored the loss and what this means for humanity. But Camilla is the first character to really, I think, voice that. What the Martians really took from us was they put us in this harsh world where we always have to react with violence. They really took from us our chance to be soft, our chance to be weak, and that she misses that those little moments of humanity right but uh as a, as she's monologuing about this we get to we, we see there's a gun holding some sort of a pistol uh yeah behind weird them. looking pistol yeah it's got a little it looks like it has a little turbine on the back it looks like there's like a, <clears throat> a sideways turbine unit on it it does which makes no sense but we'll learn a little bit more about that so yeah so the, so the next page you've got the next panel is two silhouettes crashing into in the darkness, and uh, a gun going that that gun going off haphazardly. Yeah, we see one figure <clears throat> tackling a female figure from behind, and just it almost looks like he's ramming his head into the small of her back, which is not necessarily how I tackle people, but it's Killraven. I'd say he's the expert at. Oh well, yeah, his head is you know not only is his head a, a good in, instrument for receiving blunt blows, it's also a good instrument for delivering them. Yes, um, exactly. Now, one thing on this next panel that caught my eye, uh, and, and I kind of missed it the the first time I read through the issue, and, and it kind of made some of the dialogue that was following a little hard to keep track of. I I didn't realize when I first read it that this gun shoots a throwing star it, it shoots the the silver stars that kill raven is so fond of exactly this book seems to have a very pro silver star message it's almost like that this is this is this whole book was like a vehicle for silver stars it's silver star propaganda exactly but you know it, you bear that in mind there's there's a line later on that kind of threw me off um but yeah so the the, the silver star gun freaking goes off. Uh, Mashula and Carmilla are, are caught unawares, and you know Mashula kind of tells Carmilla to get down. But you know the next panel shows a obviously gloating Kill Raven has captured this. It looks like Mashula actually. It looks like he's he was able to kind of shove Camilla out of the way. I think he he saves her there from the Silver Star. Right. Yeah. 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 That can definitely be taken that way. Yeah. yeah. And you're absolutely right. That look on Kill Raven's face, where he's holding this prisoner, this woman from behind. I've never seen such joy on his face before. He's like, look what I did. Look what I did. But even when he's happy here, he has to rub this in somebody's face. So we see the person that he's holding. It's this green woman. He's holding her from behind, and he, he says to Mishula, you must be getting soft in the head that this was nearly the last of your days and by a female, no less. Oh, he didn't finish that less part because no, he before he could get on with that, uh, this uh, green, green-hued green lady uh, basically just, just – throws kill raven like full-on picks him up and throws him like a rag doll this woman she's uh she's light green she's wearing a, a green green costume she has white hair she looks a little bit like if you guys are familiar with the avengers character mantis 
she was in the one of the later Guardian of the Galaxy teams as well. So she's got kind of a similar hue. And if you've ever seen what the original Dazzler's original costume looks like, it really looks a lot like that, but instead of uh, like white, it's green. Yeah. It's got a lot of nice cleavage going on because again, that's what you would use if you were fighting in the wasteland. Exactly. If you're an Austin Powers fan, you think of any like '60s spy outfit getup. This is this is it. Yeah. And yeah, when she so Kill Raven is holding her arms from behind, and it's not like she uses some like her weight to to kind of like roll him like over her shoulder just off him he's like flying over her head through the air like he's upside down in the air like he's legs up head to the ground like six feet off the ground so that took some massive strength and he is completely caught unaware like when she does that and then she kicks him in the head and you know i I, I got it i gotta interject here it's a good thing kill raven is as hard-headed as he freaking is proud of yeah, he he's just two panels prior. He's mocking Mashula for being soft in the head, and and Kill Raven is using that stubborn stone freaking skull of his to good use because once again, like you said earlier, he gets a freaking head blow. He's got serious head trauma. Yeah, I mean he got he gets kicked right to the face. Yeah, right. And, and I mean it even points out, you know, it points out that he got kicked viciously in the face. We, uh, we see in the next panel that she's got her Silver Star launcher up, which the Silver Stars are clearly bigger than the barrel. So I don't know how this works because at first I thought that she would have to load it in the, uh, just at the end of the barrel and then it would shoot out. But it, it, it looks like there's some sort of feed mechanism that I, I, would, I don't understand how that would work. But, I mean, by the time Kill Raven's on the ground and getting back up from being hit or being thrown and hit, She's got him covered with, with a pistol, and she's warning the rest of them that don't try anything, that don't go for the crossbow. And at this point, this character has become my new favorite character in the book. Mm-hmm. And I think she's better at being Kill Raven than Kill Raven. <laughs> and I, I drew up some points here. Because one thing I've noticed from Kill Raven is that he's constantly being attacked from behind. And like Kill Raven, she was attacked from behind. And. She instantly recovered from that and kicked Kill Raven's ass. But uh, another thing that we've talked about is Kill Raven is constantly getting hit in the head. Instead of getting head injuries, she she's the one who dispenses head injuries. Yes. That's what she saw him kick him in the face. Kill Raven carries around silver stars and throws them. I mean, he just throws them with his hand like some sort of long-haired carpetbagger. But man, she's got a... So she takes his his own signature weapon and has a much cooler uh, a way to use them. She has a silver star launcher. So Which I mean, is she fucking is the, cool. Yeah. She is, she is in every metric that you would measure kill Raven or that you would identify the attributes you would identify with kill Raven. She has, but she's better at him than him. He's, she has, she, she does a better job. She is a better kill Raven than kill Raven. Right. Yeah. So yeah, she not only does she have kill Raven covered, she's got two of these silver star launchers. Yeah, that second one comes out of nowhere, and yeah, she's got yeah, she's holding them both out left and right, so she's covering the whole group with with the with the two launchers. She is just she's she got caught spying, and instantly she turned the whole situation to her advantage. There's the there's Camilla, Mashula, and and Kill Raven, and then they have a super mutant Grok, 
and she was able to get the jump on all of them, and she is in control. Right, she is fully in control. She she manages to destroy uh, Mashula's favorite crossbow. I felt bad. About, I felt bad for Mashula there. That, I, yeah, he, he, yeah. yeah, that was his. It was his, his favorite weapon. Yeah, it was his favorite one. Um, so yeah, introductions are made. You know. Yeah, we. We learn that she's a leader of a group of free women. So again, much like Killraven, she's a leader. Yeah. Um, Killraven, he explains his situation, that he's lost some men, and that he knows where they're being held, and he suggests that they work together. He, again, has to draw attention to the fact that she's a woman, which means that he must be, she must be somehow less than him. Uh, and again, it's just him being a, a dick, but she does not appreciate the, his attitude and calls him out on it. Right, and, and she basically tells him. Basically, she kind of kind of goes a little Samuel L. Jackson on him because she's like, "You yeah, call me does. woman one more time, I will crease your skull permanently." <laughs> yes, I will she's t- not putting. <laughs> she's the only character in this issue who is really calling him out on his bullshit. And, and, and this is this has been the kicker for for the entire episode <laughs> for me. And I'm directly quoting here. She says, I'll tell you my I'll tell you the name once and you better remember it. It's mint. Mint julep. <laughs> and when I read it, I giggled. <laughs> I, I also laughed out loud because yeah, she tried to have this badass James Bond moment with the worst name possible. It is the worst fucking name. Oh my god, even Kill Raven's response is, you gotta be kidding me. And that's exact. I, I was just like, you know what, KR, I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm with you on this one. You gotta be fucking I, kidding me. I have been very critical of him and his shit attitude this issue. His, his fucking comment there is 100% warranted, because that is the worst name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh too much about it, but it is pretty funny. Okay, so yeah, we learn that she's Minjulup. We learn that she's not going to put up with his bullshit. We learn from Killraven that the missing free men and free women are being held at the Lincoln Memorial. Right. Um, we also learn before that, because, again, Killraven wants to them to, to go together, to work together, to get their missing people back. Mint is skeptical of his plan. She's skeptical that he knows where the prisoners are and they should go as a group. Because, again, like she rightfully points out, you know, I have a weapon trained on you and your men. You'd say anything at this point to save yourselves. But, which is good. It's good, healthy skepticism. And unlike Killraven, she can be skeptical without being a complete ass about it. Right. Yeah. So she kind of challenges him a little bit. And Mishula, of course, takes this opportunity to kind of get a little jive in at Killraven, saying, uh, you know, commenting that, so I'm the one that's getting soft in the head, huh? And we move on to the next page where Kill Raven and company are at the Lincoln Memorial. They go into a little detail about the structure and all that stuff and the meaning. I'm willing to gloss over it. <laughs> I, I did as well. It just, yeah, it doesn't, it's, it's some nice detail, adding detail to the story, but it's not really relevant. Yeah, it's flavor text. It, it doesn't really, you know, give you any sort of any sort of real story exposition. It doesn't really forward the plot along. Basically, they go to the, Washington, that, the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah, but that doesn't stop, again, Killraven from being a dick when him and Camilla are talking about the significance of the structure. Right. Killraven, of course, laying blame right away, you know, telling Camilla to keep, that, keep Grok quiet. And they're proceeding to try and stealthily take out all of the guards, which they do. 
Yeah, they do a good job with that. Again, Grok is kind of a badass. Again, Kill or er, Camilla asks Kill Raven if he knows what this place is, and she has he has to point out, you know, I didn't have as much free time to learn as uh, as you did when I was groping around in the dark, you know, studying materials in an abandoned library. Again, he can't just say yes, I know what this is. He has to turn it into a fuck you, Camilla moment. Yeah, basically, he he kind of he kind of went full on douche mode. His whole issue, he's such a dick. Yeah, he's been he's been a complete dickhead the whole time, and he and he he is continuing with that. I bet his pants are chafing him. He's not used to wearing actual like adult pants, and he's missing his mankini from the first few issues. And this is this is him lashing out at those around him. Right. So we get a nice on page eighteen. We get a nice uh, splash page here. We see that in the uh, it's a scene reminiscent of the cover. We see Abraxas. He's standing before Lincoln in the Lincoln Memorial. We see on the steps a group of Martians. Oh, what do we say they were? Uh, Mr. Potato Heads, they were stuck in an oven for too long and partially melted. You'd come up with a good name for a group of Martians? Oh, a fever. It's a fever yes. of Martians. We got a, we got a fever of Martians. And so this is a, uh, a slave auction, and it looks like the Martians are bidding on slaves. Yeah, how do they how do they bid? Do they like, raise however many tentacles they want to pay? I I gotta say I spent way too much time thinking of the logistics of this. Yes, how do they draw attention to the fact that they're bidding? What are they using to bid with? Like, what resources are they allocating to Abraxas? If you're the master of the planet, I don't see why they would need to go through this. Why they just don't have. Abraxas go out and say kidnap slaves and bring them in. Why we have to go through this like whole free market exercise? Yeah, and and where are their pockets? I mean, they've got to keep I, have something to keep their wallets in, right? Okay, fair enough. So I, if you look at Abraxas's arms in this picture, again, they they something of them they're a little bit pointier, but it, it they're red. They remind me of the the monster from the river. Yeah. So I wonder if he's some sort of like Aquaman. He's half man, half monster, like hybrid. Or if they were more, more feasibly, they were probably made or from the same mutation program, the same Martian program. Right. Yeah. So you've got him on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. It looks like old skulls on the auctioning block. Uh, he, he's being held by Abraxas. Yeah. We see that Abraxas is the auctioneer. Yep. You've got a couple, you've got a saber, you know, looking dashing in his cloak. Uh, and you've got a couple of goon squad guards, a couple more hostages, and you've got one of the free women that uh, Mint Julep is looking for up behind uh, Old Skull on the auctioning block, looking like she's up next. Yep, yeah, and of course, since she's a freedom fighter, she's wearing a bikini top and hot pants. Well, I yeah, wonder that's if... what freedom fighters wear, dude. Do you think that Lando got there, that he, he took a, cl- a cloud car to, to, to get to the auction? God damn it. We also learn, because when Abraxas starts the auction, I love the way they describe him. They say he has an inhuman voice like a corpse, given speech, which I wonder what that would sound like. It's not very dis- descriptive in letting me know what that would sound like, but I do I do like the, the added creepiness it gave to him. And I, we also apparently learn that some of the Martians... The humans that they win at the auction, they eat. Oh, yeah. It's definitely human hors d'oeuvres. Lovely. Yep, so Abraxas proceeds to read off. Uh, read off is a far term. He's basically doing his auctioneer spiel. You know, she's like, hey, I got these awesome specimens. Uh, they might have dodged you in the past, but here they are. 
uh, how much you want for those. But Kill Raven, uh, rather than try and do something sneaky, decides he's going to directly interject in this auction and go charging right up the middle and challenge Abraxas. I, I love the captions where it le- leading up to him challenging Abraxas. Killraven's shout splinters the auction block, and where Abraxas's voice is of the cold grave, Killraven's flames with impassioned fanaticism. Yeah, he is a bit of a fanatic. Absolutely. And Camilla has kind of called him out on that, that he he's charged with this course, and he never thinks about it. He just goes from one task to the next. Where And she, she calls out that, I think that that's, again, that's something that humanity is missing. We need to be thinking through what we're doing. We need to thinking about or think about what we're doing, why we're doing it. Exactly. Definitely. That was several issues back. They're too busy fighting now to get into the intri- intricacies of uh, of humanity and what it's what they've lost. Right. So Kill Raven's got a great one-liner about how much are we bid for your lives. Yes. And uh, Mashula has some comments about uh, Carmilla, where he's stating that it looks like she learned more than to study books in the Martian labs because Car- Carmilla is making good use of that sword that she had out earlier. Yeah. I like that this issue, there's a couple panels here. There's a panel here and a panel earlier where we see her with a sword. We see she's not just a scientist that she does a contribute in other ways to the group as well. She is a good fighter. Right. Old skull is uh, very happy because Mr. Kill Ravens come to rescue them. We see a uh, mint julep, um, free her free women and of course we see that they're again dressed in a halter top and hot pants mm-hmm. which is everybody's default uh, uniform in her group except for hers because again she's green so she would definitely have to wear green clothing exactly it's the rule absolutely who knows you know she might be green maybe she sunburns more possibly i just I, I always just like that in comic books where if a character's blue like i have blue skin i have to have blue clothing red they usually like to go with those complementary colors and i just don't i've never met say a blue person or a red person or a purple person but i don't think that would necessarily like if i were purple everything i wear would have to be purple do you, do you want to know how you can meet a, a blue or a purple person i know that there are some blue people in uh, the appalachian mountains well, there's a way. There's a way you can you can seriously meet a blue person, or even slightly purplish. How, how can I meet a blue or purplish person? Make them overdose on colloidal silver. Okay. And then they'll turn like bluish purple, and then you can say, "I know a bluish purple person." I mean, they might hate you for the rest of their lives because you made them overdose on colloidal silver, but at least you can you know take a couple of snapshots with them and be like, "Hey, I know a purple person or a blue person," and make them wear blue or purple probably not going to do that okay well i i tried for you buddy okay i i mean you, you've got that i i was just thinking uh from willy wonka you have violet beauregard mm-hmm yeah true yeah. you got the smurfs um, yeah and, and apparently there's this group of like really inbred people from the appalachian mountains and they have like lightly blue skin you can Google it there. You'll see pictures. Like, they literally have blue skin. Lightly inbred, you said? Yes. Or I said they're inbred, but they have light blue skin. Oh, okay. There's no... I don't think there's a lightly inbred in front. <laughs> I, guess, I mean, maybe you could say it's a spectrum. Yeah, it's, to like, like, say, it's, like, like, it's like saying, well, I only fucked my second cousin once. I'm, I'm going to disagree. Say if your aunt and uncle... Say your... Or so, okay, your uncle and your and his sister 
had a child. That's inbred. But then you had that happen for three or four or five generations, not just that one generation. I would say there's the difference between, say, maybe just inbred and heavily inbred. So, so, it depends on how many generations. Okay. I, oh God, this is a rabbit hole we could really fall down. Uh, <laughs> let's not. An incestuous rabbit an hole? An incestuous rabbit hole. Oh, man. But let's move on. It looks like uh, Lando over here, Saber, yep. is getting his, his swerve on, and he's, uh, you know, doing a little Kill Raven face kicking over here. Yeah, we see. Yeah, we know that he's not afraid to get his hands dirty, like when he went undercover in Jabba's palace. God damn it. Yes. Uh, he, he's getting his hands dirty. He's taking the fight to kill Raven. He's doing his thing, you know, all underneath the uh, watching eyes of the, the Lincoln statue as they're duking it out mano a mano. Do you think that a lot of Saber's aggression comes from that he's still mad at himself for losing the Millennium Falcon in a card game? <sighs> Fuck you. <laughs> hey, this is the point of this podcast. We're here to ask questions and we're here to learn. <sighs> I do like that panel with, with Lando landing on uh, Kill Raven. Because again, it looks like he's his feet are landing on his face. And again, I said this before Kill Raven has had to have more concussions than most NFL players. <laughs> Yeah, Kill Raven's got more concussions than a fucking linebacker for sure. I mean, he yeah. is just – I mean, the only thing I can think that would have more concussions than him is a really retarded bird that does not realize that glass is in the way and it just keeps running into it. I bet you probably have that pro a problem in Bespin a lot because there seems <laughs> to be a lot of glass on the, the Cloud City. Ah, you fucking ass. Anyways, but okay, we're we're not here to talk about Saber and his origins. We're here to talk about this fight with Lan <laughs> Kill Raven. Oh man, yeah, this is like the fucking Lando years before he met Han Solo. But anyways, yeah, but anyways, um, Abraxas is kind of tired of this little fight here, and uh, he 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 swoops in and grabs Kill Raven with both tentacles, and he drags him to the auctioning block. While they're fighting, while uh, Saber and Kill Raven are fighting, again, we get more uh, dialogue between the two of them, and we learn again that Saber is not really a big fan of what goes on here. He doesn't like delivering people to Abraxas to be sold to the Martians, but again, he does it so he can maintain his freedom. He considers himself a, a, a realist, or, uh, but again, Kill Raven disagrees. That's completely the opposite of Kill Raven's philosophy, and yep, you're absolutely right. The fight is broken up. With Abraxas grabbing Kill Raven from behind, that's kind of a theme from Kill Raven as being ambushed from behind. Yeah, yeah, I gotta say you're right. Yeah, you know, Saber does seem to be a, a pragmatic kind of fellow, which is why I kind of why he grew on me after the first misshapen panel. Well, we we've seen a lot of his pragmatism before. He didn't want to sell out Han, but Vader had gotten there first, and he had to look out for you know the well-being of Lobot and the rest of the denizens of, of Cloud City. <laughs> This is what he tells himself. That's how Lando sleeps at night. Uh, yeah, anyhow. Anyways, so yeah, so Abraxas has got Kill Raven, and he's holding him over his head in front of this giant fever of Martians. I mean, what? I mean, it looks like there's, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe ten 
or eleven yeah. Martians in in there. There's a, there's a definite, there's this, definitely a shitload of Martians. Yeah, this is the most the the most amount of Martians we've seen uh, on any single definitely. panel ever, and this is a smallish panel. One can only assume there's more than just ten. Yeah, it's. I love that scene. I love seeing Abraxas use his tentacles. I love when he grabs Kill Raven. You know, he interrupts the fight. Saber's angry. I got the feeling that Saber wanted this to be an honorable fight, and uh, Abraxas grabs Kill Raven from behind. We see that he has these suckers that are leaving these angry red welts on Kill Raven, so we get to see how those arms work a little bit better. But yeah, Abraxas is nothing if he's not a showman. He's holding up Kill Raven. Uh, in front of the Martians, and we get to just see the difference in their size. Abraxas is a large guy, is a large uh, individual. He looks like he's at least 15 feet tall. Yeah, Abraxas is rather huge, and he's basically he, he just picks up Kill Raven and uh, kind of says, uh, "Legendary Kill Raven will be a threat no longer," uh, and he. He throws him into the uh, fever of Martians. You know, it really looks like you know Kill Raven went to uh, a, like a mosh pit, and he he was attempting to stage dive into the crowd, except the crowd instead of just being a crowd of people was a, a fever of Martians with all their cute tiny little tentacles squirreling about in the air. Or it, it almost looks like it, like the tentacle could be a rope, and he's jumping off a rope rope swing into. Instead of a, a lake or something fun like that, yes, a, a murder of Martians. A murder. Or a, oh, yeah, a fever, a murderous. A fever of Martians. A fever-pitched murder of Martians. And uh, this is where I got very upset, because, again, this is a great panel where, where, where we see Kill Raven thrown to the Martians. But this is the end of the fucking issue. But anyway, we learn, oh, I want to go back. They say, here's your legendary rebel, kill him, and you'll kill all of humanity next. I don't think that they needed to kill Kill Raven before they went after humanity. I think that was a, a weird line for Abraxas. But this is the end of the issue, which this was... It's, it's hard for you guys to tell without the book in front of you. Most issues, they include the ads in this, but they go to, like, say, 32 pages. This was page 23. So they shorted us nine pages, but we learned that next issue... They lurk in the catacombs, half human, half bloodstained robot, or robots, half bloodstained rodents. Next, it's the White House carnivores. But yeah, this is the end of the issue because they, this issue, they uh, put in a B story. That's it's six actual pages with the the ads. It would have been nine. Right, um, it is pretty sad. A lot, yeah, a lot of Marvel '70s issues would have B stories. And either it would be like, oh, you're reading like a Kazar issue, like here's a Black Panther story, or oh, here's the Inhumans, here's maybe a tale that has something to do with that. This is not anything that has to do with the Marvel Universe. The the title of this B story is The Man Who Went Too Far. I'm not going to lie, I didn't take any fucking notes on it because it's a piece of shit. But we could cover this real briefly. The only thing, I, I got excited for a half a second because before I read the title, when we flipped to the first page... The guy looks a lot like Peter Quill, but then I remembered that Peter Peter Quill, if you've never seen his he's Star Lord, if you've never seen his '70s Star Lord costume, it looks totally different than his current one. It's really ridiculous looking, but no, of course this isn't Peter Quill. Okay, so if we go into this, this is basically it's basically gonna gonna tread along a, a usual hot button issue for me. Which is? Yes, I was gonna. I was gonna make sure we brought that up because we God, talked about it at length. Damn it! <laughs> yeah. So 
you've got this guy, Martin. He, he's got some sort of ray-looking device. It looks like a telescope kind of on a tripod, but it's a ray that's if, emitting a beam out into space somewhere. If the 1980s laser tag and a telescope had sex and, a ba- and they had a baby, that's what it would look like. You're right. Absolutely. And, and uh, him and his, I guess his companion's name is York. Yeah. Is uh, there... They're setting this up, and they've turned it on, and they're discussing what it can do. And basically, this this telescope ray device uh, will draw an entity out of wherever it's pointed and teleport them to Earth. The most ridiculous fucking concept. But we're not even done. Like It gets so uh, so much more ridiculous as we go on. Right, so you know he's turned it on, and you know York is of of course got some issues with that. You know he's wondering, uh, you know, it, it's the age old question, okay? A lot of these science fiction stories, you know, take the scientists and, and put them as people that are only hungry for the quest of knowledge, and it doesn't matter what master or what purpose they serve in order to gain said knowledge, they are willing to do anything to get more knowledge it's like they're addicted to freaking learning new shit and, and instead of ever questioning the why of why they're doing something or even whether or not they were doing something that they should attempt it's always about well no this will give us more information and if it gives us more information it gives us more knowledge and more knowledge is great because knowledge is power fuck everything else and that's what this guy martin is he's the stereotype he's like Hey, who cares if this could potentially harm whatever being we're dragging into our freaking uh, planet? Uh, I want the knowledge, and if we kill one person, too bad. York, he does a, I mean, he he has a really good point that if you're bringing something from space to Earth, this is a life form that adapted to survive in space. Is it going to be able to survive in a planet with a breathable atmosphere, an atmosphere that has pressure? Uh, much higher than what you would find in the vacuum of space, and Martin just does not give a shit. It's you know I can't stop to think about the possibilities. You know this we could learn so much more. Yeah, it would be great if you start beaming in aliens and having them dissolve before you. I think that this is this is not a a small issue that you're you're not taking the time to 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 debate. I mean you're you're basically bringing something to Earth that has a high probability that it won't be able to survive. So I don't understand, and he he understands that there's a strong possibility that these things will be sentient. He's committing murder, and he does not think that that's a detail that he should give any sort of thought to. Right, yeah, and it's a tired trope, and it's it's sad that they, they, they had to freaking waste so much time going going through that trope in this little B-side story. Oh, I, I don't think we gave the name. The name is The Man Who Went Too Far, which is the most heavy-handed title they could have possibly gone with. How far did he go? Did he make it to, did he make it to Albuquerque? He did not. Where he went was fucking crazy town. Well, this whole thing, just it, it, it was never really firmly on the rails, and it goes off the rails quickly. Because, of course, he uses the fucking, or the, the beams on, he brings a beam from space to Earth. And they, they, they are very clear this guy is from space. He lives in space. It's a life form from space. So how would an, a, a life form born in the vacuum of space look? It's a glowing yellow humanoid. Because that's exactly what a fucking life form 
living in uh in space without a planet without an atmosphere would look like it would have arms and legs like a fucking human exactly because you know it not it's not like it's coming from a totally different environment or anything like that fuck it's it's ridiculous. it's lazy character design but absolutely it's ridiculous I like when he's he's experimenting on the space uh, the spaceman here. It looks like his beam is melting his head. Yeah. Again, we have that theme of melting. Right, and York is realizing, hey, you know, maybe we've gone too far, and he's having some some deep reservations about this, and it's keeping him up at night. So he decides he's going to do the only thing he can do, and, and he's going to destroy the machine. He he uh, goes after it with a wrench. Your or not York Martin. Clearly doesn't want him to do that. Punches him in the face. They get into a fight. Knocks York unconscious. And we learn that the fight had tipped the laser over, or the device over, instead of shooting into space. It was aiming at the ground. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, no. So what could that mean? If it's something that's meant to bring life forms magically from a far place to Earth, it does the same thing. It pulls some sort of subterranean monster uh, above ground and of course we never get to see it but of course it's fucking humanoid at least it looks that way from its foot yeah so it's this giant creature that can leave footprints 10 inches deep in solid rock and it's heading for the town and that's why he goes too far the scientist because he's done something to endanger human lives it doesn't matter that he was going to vivisection that yellow glowing guy and put his life at risk because who gives a fuck who gives a shit exactly i mean fucking trope i i try not to be negative and i really like the kill raven stuff but i was so pissed that they cut kill raven short because that was such a great issue they're kicking ass they're fighting in the fucking lincoln memorial and not only did they cut it short but they cut it short for probably the worst marvel b story i have ever oh yeah this thing was absolute trash I have not read the next issue, but I have perused the next issue, and I've seen that it also has a B, B story. I don't think it was a continuation of this one, I, it, but it looks like it's a similar thing. It's like a tale of science gone wrong. Boom, boom, boom. So Cruz and I had a conversation about this. Uh, it wasn't particularly enjoyable for us to read, and I don't think us bitching about something that's most likely older than you as the listener are is enjoyable to listen to. So we talked about, instead of covering this, covering as our, our uh, the shortened Kill Raven issue and then tacking on the first uh, the f- our first edition of Punish Sember with a Punisher holiday special. Yeah, that's. I think that'll probably be a little more enjoyable. So yeah, we appreciate you tuning in. I'm sorry we had to end on a, a kind of a downer note with this turd of a story. But hey, these bad stories are going to get you into us talking about The Punisher, which is kindly ti- kind of timely because I understand the Punisher series on Netflix just started. So hey, you can hear about some of his holiday adventures around the holidays. It's a win for everybody. Yes, we'll go with a more mainstream character that everybody should know. Yeah, Punisher's great. I I've always been a fan of the Punisher. I like a lot of his his stuff. He's a character that I've I've read a significant chunk chunk of his issues. It when he's handled well, it's a great fucking character. If nobody here has read, it's his not the first series he was in, the, the miniseries. That one's okay, but the his first ongoing series that started in like 1987, it's fucking awesome. I would recommend that to everyone. 
Outstanding. Yeah, I've read a couple of Punisher books in in my time, and I like the character for sure. Um, be interesting to uh, read some of his uh, his holiday stuff. Really fun. He has additional holiday specials, uh, other shit besides the Christmas special. There is a summer special that I think that might be fun to get to uh, next year. But yeah, there's a lot of good Punisher does, books does he, out does there. Does he do a, a Hanukkah special? Uh, he does not. Or a Ramadan special? Uh, he does not. What the fuck, Frank? Frank Castle, you're screwing up, bro. Come on, man. Does he have a Kwanzaa special? Yes. Okay, yes, awesome. the fact that he does. He explores what the true meaning of Kwanzaa is. Uh, wow. Does he come back with like some whole new outlook on life? Him and Daredevil at the end of the series, they uh, they patch things up, and they actually they sing a nice song, and Daredevil does an interesting little soft shoe. It's a good, good issue. That's, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to read it. Difficult, difficult to find. So, yeah, I hope that is an incentive enough for you listeners to come back, you listeners to spread the word about our great podcast. You could even send us send us in an email talking to us about your favorite Punisher story because I have a lot of those that I would like to discuss. Or if you wanted to leave us a, a fucking iTunes review so that I might have thumbs to be able to make the next episode. Outstanding. Well, it's... Uh... It's been a good run. Um, yeah, that that B story was a downer for me. <laughs> I, I as good as the issue was itself, we got Mint Julep, which is by far my favorite. That is the so most far. funny fucking name they've came up with so far, and I I laughed out loud when I read that shit. I I mean the the I guess it's better than if they had just said my name is Green Lady or Greeny McLady, but those are the only names I can think of that would be worse than Mint Julep. <laughs> the next one's going to be Red Apple. <laughs> They're going to meet a talking leprechaun. And then there's going to be a, a chick that's like, uh, like she's she's yellow and she's a little pineapple. Uh, you know, she, she's very citrusy looking and her name's going to be Margaret Rita. Hey, I like that. <laughs> I think that was quite good. I would like to read the further adventures of Margaret <laughs> and her plight to uh, to stop the market. And somehow they'll make her talk with a freaking accent. Well, it's it would it's Marvel in the 1970s, so yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, uh, we appreciate you guys taking this journey with us. Again, if you want to hear more, if you want to weigh in on any of the stuff we talked about, uh, comicbookdungeon at gmail.com or our website comicbookdungeon.podient p-o-d-i-a-n-t dot c-o yeah. and let us know what you think exactly and uh, keep on turning those pages absolutely and uh, I would like to remind you guys that we know who the third summer brothers and it uh, is and it turned out to be dupe good night everybody <laughs> good night you know, dupe, he kind of looks like a mix between a green bean and a turd with arms. I have no idea what the fuck that reference was. <laughs> oh. um, uh. In the 1990s, they made a big deal. You know, Scott Summers, he has his, you know, Cyclops, he has his brother Havoc. Okay, yeah. Alex Summers, they hinted around in the 1990s that there was a third Summers brother. And they had written it, it was going to be this guy... Adam X or Adam the Extreme because it was the 1990s and he was a, a you know who the Shire are like they're bird like aliens they're like humanoid bird type aliens okay he was going to be half Shire and half human 
And, of course, since it was the 90s, like I said, he was Adam X. He was Adam the Extreme. He wore a backward baseball cap. He was everything that you hate about the 90s. Uh, but they ended up not using him as the third Summers brother because they thought that was too ridiculous. Uh, and then Warren Ellis uh, did this this later series where they introduced a new character, Vulcan, as the third Summers brother. And that sh- it pretty much reviled every uh that that run and and nobody hates or nobody likes vulcan so i i like the idea of dupe the green looking little turd who speaks in a crazy language and has weird powers to be the summer's brother the question is am i going to keep all this in at the end i don't know i honestly don't know but that sounds um that was a good explanation i had no idea so i'm cool with that a little bit of trivia it's not like anybody's listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'll just keep it in. Because, yeah, I don't think uh, – he, he's kind of become popular the last five or six years or so. But, yeah, if you don't read X-Men, you probably wouldn't know who he is. Dirk Diggler demo. Keep the vocals up. You got the touch. Take seven. my mom she's not your mom anymore from now on you call her Sheldon 